0: You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. Why don't we start off, if you want to just introduce yourself and um, kind of how you got into the reuse at Finger Lakes. Sure. Yeah. So my name is uh, Chris Fletcher. Um, I've been working at Finger Lakes Reuse for
1: a little over six years now. Um, uh, prior to working here, I I worked in the solar industry a bit as an installer, also in energy efficiency, um, also as an installer. Um, I did work at another uh, kind of reuse operation in Vermont, about a year doing deconstruction, deconstructing houses um, in the fields. So I kind of ran a crew for a little bit doing that, and also worked at just generally in construction. Um, Right before coming here, I got a, a master's degree. Um, I already had a bachelor's in history, but I got a master's degree in regional planning uh, with a focus on economic development and data analysis. So, um, and then coming to Ithaca, cool. New York, uh, Cornell has an amazing regional planning school and uh, I came here as a trailing spouse and there wasn't really uh, too many positions in the region for a regional planner, So, um, <laughs> I ended up going back to the reuse world, but I'm really glad I did because I think I, I enjoy this kind of working at a dynamic uh, kind of still, we've only been around for about 11 years, so it's still very much a startup organization and a kind of startup mentality, and that just fits so much better with me than I think I would have been than fitting in as like a, a city planner or a kind of county regional planner. Uh, I, I don't think that would have been as good of a fit, um, but I, I, did, I do take a lot of the skills and uh, knowledge that I got from the planning degree and kind of, and, and looking at things through a, a planning uh, perspective and economic development perspective to my current job here. Um, right. So I've done, I've done a wide variety of things here. I uh, just started at doing kind of pretty basic, basic work here, um, was uh, kind of, Deconstruction coordinator for maybe half a year, and, and in some ways I'm still the acting deconstruction coordinator because we've never really okay. filled it since then. We've done a few jobs over the years uh, where I kind of, kind of operate the job and along with doing the other uh, jobs I, I do here. I, for a number of years, I was sort of the deputy director, kind of uh, ran the kind of business and kind of second in, in charge of the organization. Uh, we have maybe like 50 sub-employees by now. So we've really quite grown. Um, at the moment, uh, my title is business developer, and so I, I really focus on kind of the, the data, the data stuff. Kind of manage our um, kind of cash flow and budget process, and, and kind of look at and how the data kind of informs that, and then help the uh, the stores and our other kind of business operations with data and, and projecting and, and trying to analyze where we are and where we're going. Um, along with kind of taking on different um, expansion projects, so right now I'm also kind of the acting manager of a, a new store we opened a few months ago. So and and also kind of manage our field operations and kind the of pickups and deliveries that we do. Um,
0: what so what else do you
1: do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do some maintenance as well. Yeah. I can drive <laughs> trucks. So yeah. Whatever, whatever, I I really, one thing I really enjoy doing is I love uh, building retail fixtures because so many, uh, fixtures with, because items are so oddly shaped, they don't come in boxes for us Mm -hmm. a lot, uh, Mm -hmm. they don't go nice in the shelves, so a lot of times, you know, we have to, uh, so I love building, you know, very, uh, interesting ones from used materials, so I've made some, uh, I took apart my deck uh, a year ago um, at my house and I donated the, uh, the old uh, lumber from that and made some bookshelves for our our book department in our store out of that, my old deck. So I like doing those kinds of things as well. Cool, A lot of opportunity for creativity at at the organization.
0: Yeah. And I think the deconstruction is probably how we met then if um, going to the build reuse conference last year, was that in Pittsburgh? Yeah, it feels like five years ago. Yeah, I was thinking, like, I think that was just last year, right? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, less uh, than a year ago. I think you were presenting before me, um, and I was really fascinated with the discussion and some of the data that you were sharing about how you're looking at the operations there. Um, Sure,
1: yeah. So, uh, uh, like any other organization that, that sells things, we track our sales. Um, and we do by different departments, kind of furniture, housewares. As an organization, we sell pretty much anything that's reusable, um, kind of mattresses we haven't got into. That's really the only main category of mattresses and box brands. But we sell building materials, furniture, housewares, uh, electronics. We, we can refurbish computers and sell kind of a used uh, computer with a warranty, sell appliances. Uh, and, and then in the, in the last three years, we've started, we've added clothing and books, um, as well, to kind of our repertoire among our currently three locations at the moment. Um, and
0: so, Do you sell we, the kind of different on all those and all those stores, or like in the clothing? Uh, of the are those in just specific stores, or?
1: Uh, yeah, so the stores are differentiated a bit. Um, originally, we just had the one store that we opened 11 years ago. And we were doing building materials and computers. We have kind of an e center, we call it, where we do computer mm-hmm. refurbishment. We also do a computer service. You can bring your laptop in and get it repaired at a wow. reasonable rate. And we have we have reasonable rates, and we also have even a lower one if you're kind of uh, if you are kind of, of low income. Uh, we will pair it even at a lower cost to you. Um, but and so and then we, we expand into a second store, and we kind of have the vast majority of our kind of computing stuffs at one store. We do have our other Stores. It's kind of two other stores, but they're kind of right next to each other in a strip mall, so it's sort of like one. Um, but those that, that that location sells some um, electronics, mostly just more electronics, like um, you know, a receiver or. VHS player, kind of speaker, is kind of those basic electronics, and the actual computing is just done at the one location, mm-hmm. and building materials is just at one location because um, that's kind of more outdoor, kind of bulky, and then also the uh, clothing is just at, a, at, opposite, at another location. So they are differentiate a little bit. Kind of housewares and furniture is kind of everywhere. We so have so much of okay. those things, yep. um, but otherwise, generally things are s- somewhat specified. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. So. Yeah so, it's, it's, uh, yeah, so we do track it all by sales and by department. And we've done that since we've started. But um, uh, where when we started, we had a, we got a whole point of sale system because our uh, we were we were initially funded by our county um, kind of uh, solid waste division, wanting to divert more items from uh, the waste stream um, into in, into reuse. So they were very interested to track the volume or um, or weight of items that were going through our system. So. We usually got a point of sale system to do that rather than just using um, cash registers. And and so, and they had, to, and initially they had an idea of trying to track um, kind of how things were being donated and track donors by using the, um, the vendor, kind of vendor and receiving system in the point of sale system um, and trying to like county. Donor as a vendor, and then counting what they donated, so we could track what different people were donated. And it was quite an effort to try to track it that way, and it kind of fell apart a bit. But when I started working here like six years ago, there was still a process of people receiving things into inventory, and and kind of and and so that was still an active process. And I was able to look at how they were doing that, and they weren't getting much data from it then. But it was just something they always did, and so they just kept doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. So they would using this extra work to get not really produce any data, but I looked at this this the fact that they were already kind of receiving all the items into inventory and tracking them. And from that I was able to take that process they were already doing and find a way to track the actual production of, of what they were putting into the inventory. Um and so we don't actually so we do so all the items we put onto our sales floor, we do we do receive it into inventory like a conventional retail business. Um, and we don't actually we don't, we don't worry about our ad, on-hand quantities being correct um, because a lot of things sometimes can sell and they don't actually get put in the right, right item code and, and things just get pulled off the floor and, and and discarded if they don't sell and we don't pull it out of the inventory. So the on-hand quantities are all over the place and I don't really, never really care that those, those be actually correct. We never do inventory or those kinds of things because um, I, I don't think it, I don't, See the value in doing that. I think it'd be a lot of work to get it even close to correct. Uh, I'm not, that's why I don't haven't attempted to do that. But the real, we're able to track the kind of um, the actual receiving of the inventory, putting it in the inventory, and and creating a voucher in the point of sale system is the real real value, um, because then we're able to kind of do a report of the vouchers in a given time period, usually either in a week or a month, and we can see the total production. We can see and we we track it in both in items, but especially in the total value. That's what really matters. And that's what that's what's attached to the that's what we're selling it as for, for the, uh, the the dollar value. So I can easily see based on department I can see that oh this store produced stocked six thousand dollars worth of building materials last week or they, the our hammer location which sells clothing they they stocked they priced and stocked nine thousand dollars worth of clothing last week and for like the clothing that's most stuff's just you know all at four dollars an item for the you know for a lot of the pants and the shirts and stuff like that. But then if something's really nice, we might price it up and put $40 on it. So it, it tracks all, you know, puts all those $40 items, the $20 items, and all the kind of bulk $4, which is the vast majority all together, and just gets a dollar value, which is the total value of product we put on the floor in that given week. And then, that's, and then obviously we're selling for the dollar value. So we're able to put those two together, um, basically take the sales of a certain department over a certain time period, and divided by the total production uh, of, of value um, and, and stocked in that given time period. And then we're able to get a uh, kind of a percentage, um, which I, I call the kind of sales, sales uh, divided by pricing ratio or sales production ratio. Um, it's kind of just put SP ratio and, and that for different departments. And that's an extremely useful metric that I've been looking at for the past few years to really kind of see how different departments are doing. Um, and and when especially when sales aren't aren't meeting expectations, we have goals, we have we have a budget, and then we from the budget we set production goals and sales goals. And when when uh, we're not meeting our our sales goals, uh, which uh, many other stores have experienced, and then they kind of have to figure out from there what what they should do and what the problem is, uh, we're able to very quickly identify what the problem is um, just by looking at that percentage. I can I can really without even walking into the store, if it's not at the store that I'm normally at, I can usually make a pretty good guess as to what the issue is just by looking at that percentage. Because um, if it's normally, I'd like to see it kind of in the low to mid 70s is kind of the ideal kind of sweet spot for our, for our stores, for most of our departments. Because um, that means that basically if it's 70%, that means for every $100 we stock on the floor, we get $70 in the register. And, and so that's, for us, that's a pretty good sweet spot. Um, the reason I don't like to see it much higher, I mean, in an ideal world, every hundred dollars we stock, we get a hundred dollars in the register. But it, you know, it's, it's not the reality because, right. you know, every single item someone's going to buy, you know, that we stock is not going to be, you know, wanted by a, a person who walks in and to pay that exact price for it. Right. So some right. things, some things are going to happen. It's kind of, we have a color tag system that you know, after something's been stocked for one to two weeks, it goes to 25%, and then the following week, 50, and then after that, 75%. Uh, so that, that kind of helps if something's, we put $80 on an item, and, and it doesn't seem to be a market for that item at $8, after in two weeks, it'll be down to $60 to try to like, push it out the door because we have such a huge volume of goods coming in. And, and, and really, when I look at the kind of profit on an item, um, you know, we're, not, we're, not, we're not consigning items, we're not paying for items, so really, we have no cost of good on an item. Really, what, what cuts into the potential profit of an item is how long it sits on the floor. Uh, right. So I've, I've kind of calculated based on our sales that at our main location, we really need each square foot to generate $2 a day um, in uh, in revenue. So that can, you know, like we, I think we have, I think I was, when I was looking at our, we have a rack with doors in it at our main location like that does building materials. And we basically need, you know, that whole rack needs to generate, the space it takes up in our store needs to generate around $100 a day. It um, needs, needs to flow out of that rack. One $100 rack, $100 door, or two dollars doors, uh, or that could be four $25 doors. To me, it doesn't really matter. It just needs to, that space needs to generate that amount of revenue per day. Um, and so we really need this stuff to kind of flow through because the longer it sits there, um, it's going to, the cost of it, keeps going up and up really the opportunity cost,
0: not being able to sell something else in that space. Um, so I got a we'll question about the so donations. Um, so when they come in, are you logging when they're received and then you're also logging when they go out to the floor, it's two separate points, or is oh. it only when they're going out to the floor, you're logging in as, uh, you're kind of counting it as a donation at that point.
1: Yeah. So uh, when as the as the item flows through our entire you know the process you know it's really it's, it's bare bones what I think the business is is you know we take an item from one person and try to get it to another person and we mm-hmm. try to make our costs as low well as possible to do that. You know we take it from a donor because it's kind of sorted, gets maybe wiped down if it's dirty, gets put on the shelf, and then a customer comes along, purchases it. And they go out the door and, you know, the lower as, as low as we can make the cost of, of, of getting it from point A to point B from the donor to the, to the customer, you know, the, um, obviously the more uh, revenue we can generate and we can lower expenses and keep, and keep growing. But um, the data we kind of, and how we track the data in that process, um, it, it's a little different at our, at our two, we have two donation drop-off points right now. Uh, and we're looking at adding the third because um, we're looking at adding another, a fourth location. Um, but our, at our, at one location, kind of our busiest one, um, our donation building is separate from our main building. We originally had it in our main building, um, but the donations were growing at such a higher rate than, than, we could, than we could actually increase our sales at that it really became really inefficient and, and at times uh, unsafe by having so many donations piling up in a, in a small mm-hmm. space. Um, and a good amount of those, especially site they can close, would need to be diverted to the other store. So that would just take up a lot of space. And, and so, and we had a little 1,500 square foot building off to the edge of the property right by the road, and it's a busy road. So that was, and we were able to do kind of a little drive through there, which then increased our donations even higher when we started <laughs> that last year. It was much more convenient and much more visible. A really nice drive through. And then our donations went up by like 75% at that location last year, just by having this much more, but it allows us to absorb it in this building and then we have to slap it across the parking lot to our main building or sh- or drive it to the other location. But, but also having a separate building really allows us to track more data. Because um, what we do is we track, so we do, we do a car count at any donor that comes through, um, you know, and most of them are in cars. Some people walk or bike them up, but for the most part, it's cars. So every single donation, whether it's, you know, someone just comes up with a uh, one little box, um, or they come with a whole U-Haul truck just gets marked as one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we track how many donors are coming through. So that gives us an idea and, and, that, and that, that's very useful. And then um, we track, uh, we were able to, for at least three months, we were able to do this fairly well. When it got really busy in the middle of summer, we completely lost our ability to track the, the volume of goods that were leaving this building. Um, but for the last three or four months last year, um, we were able to track the total volume that was leaving the building. So either things leave, most things get either put, get either put on a pallet and, and palletized to get brought over to the other, to, to the store or to get trucked to the other store. Or items are put into a gaylord, a kind of a big four by four foot cardboard triple walled box, um, like clothing and books get put in those and then they get moved around. Or items like the furniture and other really large items just get brought over on a truck usually um, to the other store or to the other place. But so we try to break everything down, whether it's furniture or whether it's, clothing in a Gaylord or whether it's uh, boxes of household goods all palletized on a pallet uh, we try to break it down to just uh, pretty much like a pallet of goods so if it's furniture if it's a whole box truckload of furniture we might say oh that's like six pallets of goods kind of just estimating it and then the the folks who are who are moving that kind of been either on a clipboard and we also have kind of a little um you know kind of app that we we made um uh on a You can log to a little kind of website and just enter the data. And we say like, oh, that was six six, um, pallets worth of larger items moved from the the donation site to the store or moved from the donation drop-off center to the the containers. We have containers that we use to help manage the flow of goods. So if it goes from the container to the store, we track that. Um, So we're able to kind of get an idea of the total volume of goods that are moving through the organization. Um, And then once it gets into the store, then they kind of break down that pallet, and then what they're really doing is they're putting it into the point-of-sale system, and then we're getting tracked on how many items or in also the total value, the total dollar value that's being stocked. Um, so basically from, especially during that three, four-month period, we were able to track it fairly well. We were able to get some really good data, which has been extremely helpful in in, in planning our expansion this year, um, and also kind of restarting with the, uh, with the shutdown that we had, we shut down our sales for a good a good month and a half at least and also we've shut down our donations for even longer um so because based from that three four month period i was able to say that every um every seven and a half donations um, that we get results in pretty much one pallet of goods on average and then every pallet of goods that gets brought to the store usually results in around 330 dollars worth of sales in the register um so so that's been really helpful plan because then um, I'm trying to we're actually reopening our donations in a few days and we expect it to be quite a, uh, quite a lot of donations. Um, and so and our sales are down because our traffic's down because of people not shopping as much. So I'm trying to plan uh, how, how do, um you know, how many donations we're going to get based on donations we had last August, the last September and I expect it to be a little more than last year. And then from the amount of donations, just, just people, the the, the, the kind of car count I'm able to guess how much total volume we're going to get donated in the next six weeks. And then I have our sales projections on the other side, and I kind of estimate how many, how many total pallets of goods we probably need to kind of make – to do those sales. And then from that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have an extra 100 pallets of, of goods over the next six weeks. And I'm going to have to try to find a way to manage, either in containers or, or some other way of expanding or kind of a pop-up sale, if that's even a good idea right now. Mm-hmm. Um, So, so that's so doing that little, even just that little bit of three, four months, um, and and ideally we're going to keep tracking that kind of stuff, and then the actual, you know, that three hundred and thirty dollars per pallet and seven and a half donations per pallet, those numbers can get more refined if if they if they kind of shift over time um just by getting more data, I mean, we'll be able to kind of make better estimates of those numbers. Um, but having that, because if I didn't have those numbers, we didn't do that three or four months of data, I'd just be completely guessing as to how many, um, you know, donations our stores need in order to to survive. Because if, if we have too few donations, and we're not going to have stuff on the floor, we're not going to, the sales are going to be down. And if we have too many, then it's kind of backing up and it becomes both inefficient and then also unsafe to, if it starts piling up too much. So it's it's, right. it's extremely helpful to
0: guess how many donations you're going to need in order to meet a certain amount of sales production. So if you have the donations coming in, you're tracking number of vehicles per se, to total donations, and then when you're sending it out from the donation center to the different stores, then it's going out as containers or pallets or daylords. Um, yeah, then, yeah, 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 pallet, yeah. Okay. Our pallets, yeah, and then um, when it gets to the store, it's getting broken down into the different categories of clothing and uh, hardware and furniture. And there's an estimate at the yeah. point of um, when it's received, or is it when they're processing it? They're categorizing it, and then that's going into their uh, warehouse processing results. That I think we'll we'll get into here. But um, is is that where that determination is made, I guess, is there two steps from receiving in the warehouse at the store to when it's leaving the warehouse? Or is it just one point where they're recording all that information, the value and the categorization of those items?
1: Yeah, so it's just, it's just really, really one step in the stores. And, and really, okay. it's so when, if I bring a couple gaylords of, of uh, clothing into uh, one of our stores, um, I do, we, have, we do track it by departments. The, the person either sending it from that, that that donation center or the driver would enter that they brought three three of clothing from this drop off donation center to the um, to the store and that gets and that total uh, a volume of of movement gets tracked um, and then in the store um, what they're doing it's it's really is so they have uh, all these you know these goods that they need to sort through and, and, and get ready and, and process and get ready for the sales floor. Um, they have those kind of building up, but what their main concern is they start going through and they and the items in the store, the kind, of kind of production down to the department and down to the item, really. Um, and the total value that's getting stocked, that's really gets tracked at the moment it's stocked on the floor. So at, at times in the past, we've had people that haven't been entirely clear on that, like the person who was stocking books for a while um they would be sorting books and then you know they're sorting by genre and maybe the history genre is 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 just not you know um it's just backing up and they're getting all these sorted books and boxes over them in the back of history but they're not their history to their history sections full on the sales floor and they don't have the room to expand it and they, they don't really want to um call the, the sales floor so they have these boxes building up in the back and i would see those boxes and i and sometimes that's if there's space for it, that's okay but i really don't like to have stuff build up in the back end too much I'd rather be on the floor in some way. But I also noticed uh, the woman was writing like entered already in point of sale on the sides of the boxes, which then to me, it's like, that's, you know, when I'm looking at the data, of course, when I look at the data, it's, I, I was looking at this production data as if these books were on the sales floor, but she was putting them in the system, but then not, not actually stocking them. So I'm like, I told her, it's all right if you haven't built up a little bit in the back, but please don't put them in the system until it's actually on the floor. Cause that's, so I want to kind of look at it in almost in real time: the production versus the sales. So mm-hmm. And to me, it's not really production unless it's on the floor, available to a customer. If you did the whole sorting process and you got, you know, you did 95% of the work, and it's nicely, you know, it's 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 either you know hung on a, a um, hung on a rack if it's clothing, or if it's you know it's nicely kind of wiped off and clean, it has got a price tag on and it's ready to go on the floor, but it's not actually on the floor. Then it that that's not it's not going to help the sales at all. So not until it's on the sales floor, ready right, for a customer, um, do you actually kind of put it into the system. So that their so their main concern is kind of sorting it, and then once they're as, as as they're stocking on the floor, they enter it into the into the system.
0: And and so I mean, twelve you know, history books or the just twelve books like something like that. Yeah, twelve twelve books. Yeah, and,
1: and really, it's, yeah. And since we're not since we're not tracking inventory, like I don't care that it's three hundred and if it says three hundred and ninety items, that's really 560 that are actually on this floor in this moment in terms of when I look at the on-hand quantities, since we're not concerned with that. Um, um, and we're not looking at like day to day, whether it was like 76 books or 87 got out or 68 mm-hmm. or something um, really the, the shortest time period. I look at this kind of production versus sales is, is a week. Um, cause if you look at it in a much shorter period, it's going to have wild swings and it's not going to be that useful. Um, I really, and, and cause also I don't want to, I don't want people to, sp- I don't want really a person to count every single book that goes on the sales floor because I think that'll just take too much time. Um, so really they stock it by a, a box gets filled. They bring the box and stock it and each box is worth 25 books. There might be 22 books, there okay. might be 28. Okay. Uh, that just becomes, let's say the box of books becomes the unit. Um, same with smaller items they are getting price tags. They print, you know, they're printing $5 price tags or $10 price tags really our system when they print those 10, you know, maybe they print 20, $10 price tags. And that's really when it gets edited in the system because it's easy to print the tags and enter it in the inventory at the exact same time. And so really maybe only that day 15 of those 20 go out, but the next day those five go. So, it, it, mm-hmm. you know, from day to day, it's not exact, but really I, I, I'm – because I'm really looking at month to month, week to week on that data. So as long as it's, it gets kind of averaged out a bit, um, that's, that's fine by me. And if it's five extra this day and five less the next day, and um, as, long as, as long as our methods are pretty similar over time, I know that each day can be give or take 10, but over time that give or take 10 will just kind of average out and and, um,
0: and it'll be consistent. so it, really, it, it really that yeah. you've got like these estimates because I think that's been a challenge from other sites that, that they want they want accuracy, but they don't know how much accuracy and the the details I think, are overwhelming, especially for what the task might be so. Okay. I think the fear is that having to put in all that detail, but if you can say it's about twenty five and it's about three hundred dollars and it's around I think those averages are are really a nice kind of trade off there that allow you to track but not worry about the nitty gritty details and I think that's something that a lot of the other uh, stores can can leverage that to say we just we just want rough numbers and, and that's going to be good enough yeah. for what we 're trying to do.
1: Yeah, because because again, we're not since we're not um, buying the inventory, we don't really need to worry about that. We're tracking it fairly well right. in terms of from from a um, you know an accounting perspective. That if you're purchasing items for as in conventional retail, you want to have your inventory relatively correct so that you know how much value you have on hand and how much you purchased and all and all of that and and so um, so we're not obviously concerned from that perspective. And and really, what you know, it's not really like a a test. We're not trying to figure out exactly how many books we stocked in a given day, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure what value in that would be, you know, it might be, you know, if, but if you think of it in terms of a test that you're trying to find the right answer, then you get kind of bogged down in figuring out the exact numbers. Right. Or sometimes right. people worry with data that, you know, since it's all numbers and it's all looks very precise, um, that it should be accurate. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but really, when I, when I think about data, and, and I've kind of expressed this to others when we're looking at it, um, that really you wanna decide how important accuracy is in certain data. So like this data I'm really using to look for trends in how our sales and production and how our operations are op- are, are working. Um, so whether, you know, like if I, if it's normally should be 70% and I'm seeing 60, that I'm, what I'm looking at is the fact that it's considerably lower, you know, if we could we could theoretically spend a whole lot more energy to find out what the exact answer and the exact answer might be 57 percent or it might be 64 or 58, but it's probably going to be around 60. And you know whether it's 58 or 62, I probably make the same business decision
0: because
1: mm-hmm. um, the, the fact that five to 15 percent below the number I want, you know, for, below the ideal metric the the, the ideal number, so it's really looking for trends and the if you're just looking for trends and then try to make business decisions based off those trends, accuracy, you know, is not as important. It's more important that, that you know, that you can get, or, you know, it, that it's accurate enough. And, and also mm-hmm. that it's, um, and also that your methods are staying consistent. consistent in, so yeah. like, you know, so it's like one, like for many years, we, uh, we've tracked the store traffic that's coming in, you know, And it's we just the the cashier tallies the amount of people on a piece of paper that are walking through the front door, and you know all you know 45 minutes will go by without putting any numbers down because they got caught up in things (laughs) and forgot, and some are better than others, and and then they just you know seem like nine people came in, and and so that so that data is not that that accurate or that useful, but what is kind of useful looking at the data is that I have to say it's you know it's not accurate, but at least it's consistently inaccurate. Because mm-hmm. we're kind of using the same method to take the data over time, so you can so you can take that data and look for trends. You can see how things go up or down. You can see that oh this these hours this the beginning of the day seems busier than the end of the day because the numbers are higher. You know, so you can start to see and get some information from it, even if the exact numbers um, uh, aren't accurate. And but it becomes problematic if you start then if we start comparing that. Traffic data versus our transaction data, which our transaction data is is accurate because it's a, it comes yeah. out of our point of sale system so it's it's never been useful to take our traffic data and compare it to our transaction data and get like um, what's it called the um it's a pretty common retail metric where you just take the transactions divided by the store traffic yeah. and and um, you know like the the success rate of what percentage of customers purchase things that's something that stores really look at it for us it hasn't been helpful to look at that because you know, one number is really accurate and the other we know is not very accurate. So mm-hmm. putting them together is not gonna be useful. Um, so I think really, it's, yeah, like you said, especially in this business where um, there's a lot of variety and a lot of volume and, and, um, and it can get, if you start worrying about being too accurate with the stuff, you can get really lost in it and you won't get any useful information at all um, and you'll overwhelm you the kind of, the workers who are trying to gather this data um, so, we try to keep it pretty simple um, by, by um, saying this is exactly what we want when you're trying to, you know, and this is kind of the level of accuracy we want with this data. Um, but beyond that, don't, you know, don't, don't,
0: uh, don't try to do more because it seems like a good idea. I, I get this sometimes with people I work with, is they have sensitive information and data. And I just tell them the exact same thing I said, I don't really care what the access, the, the number is, I'm looking at the trend of that data. So you, you can take mm-hmm. off the access. Don't even show me the number. I don't care what your uh, dollar amount is or, or what have you. If that's sensitive info, I just care about what the chart looks like. And I'm going to look at the pattern to to your point yeah. exactly is looking at the trend of that. So um, I think you're right. If it's consistent data, even if it's off a little bit, it's, it, it can help us you know, detect changes or trends in that, in that data. So when they are, Putting stuff on the floor. Okay, so um, that's being tracked as their out the output from the warehouse process or the production. You're calling that. Um, and so that yeah. is. Are you looking at that information then on a daily basis, or is that looked at weekly? Well, um, it kind of
1: depends, depends who you are. So we um, so because we have you know we have sales projections from our budget, and then we're able to, we have this kind of uh, what they. You know, if it's, if a a number is like the sales pricing ratio of that 70%, I know if I, if my sales goal is $7,000 in this department for the week, then I know the production has to be 10,000. So then we we can kind of get a production goal from that. Um, And then knowing that we need to put $10,000 of the product in this department in order to get $7,000 of the sales. Um, And then for the people who are actually working in that department every day, who are like full-time just, you know, sorting and pricing and stocking, um, they get uh, production goals around that, so we can take that. Let's say I know that um, a lot of a lot of the different departments I've allowed them to kind of choose what their unit is, whether it's a shopping cart, whether it's just items, you know, or whether it's clothing. It might be the you know like a rolling rack that has a certain amount of, of clothing on each time. So pick a unit of production. However, they're in pretty much it's how they're moving the books, it's boxes. However, they're yep. moving their um, their their item to the floor, so that's their kind of production unit and then and then we can estimate um you know if the books are 4 dollars a piece and there's 25 in there then each each box is 100 dollars worth of value and if we need to stock 3000 dollars worth of books per week then you know we can figure out oh and we need um what was that 30 30 boxes 30. of books need to go out yeah so so then with it, then they have their goal you know and if, they, if they're working 5 days then that's probably you know six boxes of books a day um mm-hmm. so we have a and we have at our stores we have these big um production boards that kind of show uh, over the course of the week um, and and actually the boards that they use kind of uh, we've kind of gone back and forth whether to kind of break it down just to like the, this production unit for for staff or whether to look at the dollar value and we kind of look at both um, as we're kind of trying to figure out which is the better to use um, with something like books it's pretty consistent value because they're all the same price but something uh, we' We'd like to like we'd like their production goal to be pretty consistent. That's why using items as opposed to the the total dollar value because we don't want people to like up their prices in order to meet a production Mm -hmm. goal if it's a dollar value goal. And 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 also they can't really control the quality that's coming in. They might get a a run of really high quality stuff, and all of a sudden, you know, by day one they've met their production goal (laughs) because they've been able to put high prices on all these things. Um, But. You know, on the flip side, they could work, 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 and and they had a, they ran some really low value stuff, and then it and then they have no chance of making their goal. So it's nice to kind of break it down to a more consistent unit, so that and the idea being that like a household goods or something like that, and we know that the average household good is is you know let's say two dollars each, and and they and they have a certain um, dollar value goal they need to reach and a certain um and and so then you know if they have to put out twenty thousand dollars worth of product or something like that, then they know that, you know, if it's two dollars each, then, then that would be ten thousand dollars worth of items need to go out on the sales floor. And the idea being that, you know, if they do ten thousand a week, they're not gonna every week's not gonna be twenty thousand dollars in value. Some weeks are gonna be twelve thousand, some are gonna be twenty-eight thousand, some are gonna be twenty-five, mm-hmm. nineteen. it's just gonna jump around based on the the value of the, the quality of merchandise that's coming in. Um, whether it's small, whether it's larger, um, and, and just the quality. So, but, but the idea being, if, and we, if we got that, you know, 10,000 items divided, divided by the $2 an item, then we know that if we do this for 10 weeks, rough, you know, roughly, then the average amount of production per week is going to be $10,000 because it's just, mm-hmm. it's going to, you know, because we got this $2 an item from the average from the past. Uh, I, usually, I usually do a three-month average. I'm always kind of updating what these kind of um whether it's two dollars an item or, or this or that or kind of these um metrics for for how to get to the the, the, the their quotas essentially um I always kinda of use the previous three months. Um and so if the previous three months are you know show that they need to do ten thousand items then over the next 10 weeks, then it probably, if they, if they do that 10,000 items, then they should do the $20,000 a week on average. I think all those weeks will average over and that's, and that works fine because it's not, you know, it's not, we're not as worried that each week. And, you know, when I look at like, we have our, I look at like the sales and production, I usually look at, got like I have a little table where I have last week's numbers and then I have the week, the, the, the average of the last five weeks, pretty much a running average for the last five weeks and, um and so, and I always you know I look quickly at last week because I'm always kind of interested in how well we did, but i I never put much stock in one week, um uh, whether it's high or low, if it's high, I just figure, oh, and it must have been a good week, and <laughs> maybe they put out some high valuable things, and probably mm-hmm. next week won't be very good. It's, the opposite, well, if, it's, if, we're, if it's low, I'm like, well, we need to start doing better and put out more stuff that's <laughs> I don't assume next week's gonna be good because this week's bad, but, right. um, but I always look for like a five-week average because I want to see a trend over a longer period of time and really make decisions based off of a longer trend.
0: Lean Six Sigma Definition.com has a list of glossary items about popular process improvement terms, along with the history of Lean and Six Sigma methods and key influencers like Dr. Edward Stemming, Henry Ford, Taichi Ono, Shigeo Shingo, and many more. You can also learn how to access affordable Lean and Six Sigma training and certification. Visit LeanSixSigmaDefinition.com. Want to better organize your work area or bring 5S methods into your organization? Check out the 5S guide from Creative Safety Supply. You also get three free bonuses. Bonus number one, free 5S poster. Bonus number two, free 5S PowerPoint. And bonus number three, free 5S audit card. Go to LeanSixSigmaForGood.com slash 5S for the free downloads. They also provide floor tape markings, labels, signs, foam tool organizers, red tags, label printers, and other organization tools. Make sure you use code BPI at checkout to save 10%.
1: Then one week, because uh, yeah, because whether it's low or high, you start looking for a longer trend. And, and then you can kind of see what needs to be done. Um, and like, like I said earlier, I can, I can make some really good assessments from without even looking at the store. Usually um, like I was just looking at the ones for the past five weeks and our sales have been, uh, we've reopened our stores like two months ago, all of our stores buy for the last two months. And our sales are maybe 20 to 40% among our stores, less than they were before we closed, uh-huh. um, which has been a, a real challenge. Um, but it's been hard to figure out exactly what, what, what has caused that. Um, like just looking at our main store, which is doing 15 to 20% less than it was um, uh, pre-shutdown. Um, and I look at that, and I look at that for the last five weeks we've been doing, and, and I have a goal of 15,000 a week, um, and we've been doing 13,400 for the past five weeks at that store. So that's 11%, um, our sales go- are less than our, our goal. Um, mm-hmm. And then I look at the production, uh, and our production is 10% less than our goal. So hmm. I put that together, I'm like, well, if we just would produce 10% more product on the sales floor, um, then I know that um, we, would, uh, we would be hitting our – I could expect to hit our sales goal. Um, and then I look at the, the sales pricing um, kind of ratio, and for the past uh, five weeks, it's been at 82%, which is quite a bit higher than 70. And when I see it get that high, especially across the whole store – Without even going to the store, I know that they have lots of empty shelves because what that for that percentage really becomes is sort of a a proxy for sales versus demand, and the um, and that around in the low 70s um, that that's sort of the ideal uh, kind of sales to sales versus demand um, uh, you know kind of uh, ratio or just relationship. If it starts getting too high, like around eighty two percent, that means the um the demand is starting to outpace our production, which then means that there's empty shelves in the store. Um and and, and this always happens in August because we're a college town, a lot of students come mm-hmm. back and a lot of people a lot of leases turn over at the end of July, early August because of the uh the
0: schools. Mm-hmm. Um
1: so so, therefore, a lot of people are buying new things for their apartment, and we can never keep up with demand this time of year
0: um, but it's also
1: coupled with we have a we haven't reopened donations because of uh, various other challenges and and we've had a lot of back stock uh, that's been piled up, and so we've been getting through that to try to get a little um and before we open we open donations but I know when I walk through this I know when I walk through the store, I see a lot of empty shelves, but just looking at the numbers, I know there would be empty shelves because there's just um just because people are buying a lot and we're not keeping up with the production um, conversely if I would see it go low if I would see it around sixty percent that means um, that means that the um, demand is in keeping up with our with our production um, and so that means and there's a couple of ways that I like to um, so the first way, I guess the first way, when it's a higher percentage, when it's 82%, there's sort of two ways to handle it. And the, for me, the always number one way is just increase production. We need to get more stuff on the sales floor. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's empty shelves there to, to, to put it on. And I know we have the stuff. So therefore, the problem must be just not enough staff um, back there doing it. Um, and, and so the other option to do, if you just can increase production, you know, if you are, you keep, you keep increasing production. either we don't have, You don't have the stuff coming in. Um, you don 't have the additional donations to put on the sales floor or um, or uh, you don 't have the staff to increase, increase production um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or both of them um, then then what the solution to do if you can't increase production is to just to raise prices um, because raising prices will uh, then you know, reduce demand if the price yep. goes up and and you'll, you'll sell fewer things. It will take longer to sell some of the stuff, but you're not keeping the shelves full anyway. So you're not in a rush to empty shelves because you don't have the st- more stuff to put on the shelves anyway. And by, by raising the prices, you'll get a higher price per item. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And
1: then you'll probably get you'll increase your sales overall by getting a higher price per item, but by selling, you know, selling slightly fewer or taking longer to sell the item. So that's, that's kind of the option too. And, and, really, and we look at not just overall for the store, but really we look at that at different departments. Um, so like I'm looking at it again, and I can see computers and electronics, and and are actually that number is 101 in the store. And, and so that means that for every hundred dollars we stock, we get 101 dollars in the register, wow. which obviously is impossible. <laughs> um, but that just means we have a lot of uh, people are still buying things that were stocked weeks and months ago, so it means it's higher. But we've been because we don't have our we ran out of um, surplus electronics like a month and a half ago. So we're still doing pickup donations. So we still have a little bit trickling in, but we're putting out such a small amount of electronics and computers that people are pretty much buying anything that we we put out and they're paying full price for it. So almost nothing's going to discount and they're just buying and, and, you know, and, and, and very few things are being discounted. So that percentage is very high. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, so, and that's, well, we just haven't been putting a lot of stuff. So we could, so we theoretically could, You know, and I suggested raising prices a a month or two ago, and I'm not sure if if the folks who kind of operate the department did, um, but that is a solution because we know we're not going to be getting a lot more item production in or a lot more items. We'll be able to increase production, really. So if we increase prices and then, you know, customers will be disappointed and probably will complain, but they'll they don't have another option, really, and they'll pay the higher price for some of the items and we'll get more sales, and the shelves will look more full, even if it, it'll look a little stagnant. So, and conversely, when the when that percentage gets too low, which I've seen happen in the past, um, it, the first thing I look at when it's it, it down in the low 60s or even in the 50s, when it starts becoming a problem, if it's 50%, that means for every $100 we stock, we only get $50 in the register.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so the first thing I look at, um, I would tell the people to look at the, go to the sales floor and look at the, look at the sales floor, <clears throat> and see if there's a way to improve the merchandising at all. Um, obviously, if, you know, like, some of our times our stores get quite, quite messy, which some other reuse stores do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, let's say there's, you know, stuff piled, you know, people just put, sometimes people just put random boxes of stuff, uh, you know, our workers do of, of, of stuff to sell, like on the floor. And sometimes at times, the, so many stuff has been randomly put on the floor that it almost blocks an entire aisle. And the customers Mm can't even go, the customer can't even access stuff, they can't buy it at all. And and every time we get our stores better merchandised and and kind of a cleaner look and and much nicer to shop, um, I always find that maybe, you know, 3% of people complain because we've ruined the treasure hunt (laughs) and and we're we're ruining their uh, their fun of digging through random piles (laughs) and stepping over things and climbing through things. But the other 97, 98% of customers uh, appreciate a cleaner, um, easier to shop look and, and, and reward us with more sales. Um, so really, you know, it's got to be accessible in the first place. But and then, yeah, looking to improve the merchandising because that might be why customers are not buying things because it's it's, um, yeah, it's just it's too hard to shop or it's not appealing enough. So see if you can improve the merchandising. And if the merchandising is pretty decent, then the only other option I see is to lower the prices. Because mm-hmm. if you lower the price, uh, then that'll increase demand. Because um, really, that's what you, you know, because with our color tag system, and we had, a, I had a, we had a person in electronics a few years ago who, when I looked at his numbers, would regularly be in the 50s. Um, and, and we didn't, and he had convinced me early on that he didn't need the color tag system, that he would stay on top of his stuff, and he wouldn't need the automatic discounting to move his items um and so we didn't have a color tag system so and so he would price things and we would often get a lot of complaints that his prices were too high and then the numbers would would kind of uh, back it up that um Mm -hmm. that you know essentially he would have to for a lot of things he would have to heavily discount things or and he was he was very stubborn and he would think that i put 40 dollars on this this is what it's worth and if someone doesn't want to pay 40 then they shouldn't get it so he was (laughs) a little so sometimes he wouldn't even discount at all he would let it sit there for five months and then just scrap it because he was just so stubborn about the value that people should pay um, for mm-hmm. an item. And so in those yeah. situations, we wouldn't get any dollars for those forty hours we put on the floor. Um, so I like a very aggressive kind of uh, uh, automatic discounting system that kind of really kind of pushes it pushes the price down if customers won't buy it. Um, that really kind of works on kind of supply and demand and and just kind of the uh, nice because with the color tag tag system, it's, it's a very kind of natural system. It's just, you know, when a customer complains about the price, you could easily say, well, you know, you know, I know you want it for eighty dollars today, but if you just wait, it'll be twenty five percent and it'll be seventy five dollars in a week from now. It'll be even cheaper, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, someone might buy it at $80, you know, someone might buy it at hundred before then, you know, but that's up right to good. you. And and if completely <laughs> in, in their court whether they want to buy it or not, whether they want to wait. And we're very transparent and say, on this day, on Tuesday morning, at 10 o'clock, you can come in and it will be $75 if no one buys it first. So we try to be very transparent with that, which really then kind of reduces the negotiations and, and kind of complaints from customers.
0: And the color coding is the tag that is going on the item, and then it just switches colors every week? Is that how it works? Yeah.
1: So yeah. Yeah. Color, so basically,
0: red, and then in a week later, the red becomes what was 100% last week. Now that becomes 75% the next week.
1: Yeah, I say one to two weeks because really how it works is we have six colors at any given time. We have like the color we're pricing in, and then we have the color that we were pricing in last week, and then and then the three discount, and then three discount colors, and then we have another color that used to be 75%, and we give it kind of a week time period to allow us to maybe purge a lot of those items or heavily discount those items Mm because we want to, we don't want to, you know, if we price something at 50, you know, a hundred dollars and, and for have customers to spend a week rejecting it at $25, we don't want to raise the price to a hundred again, because that's not going to help sell it. So we either want to like lower it to like $15 or just like, send it out to the trash. If someone Mm -hmm. wasn't going to buy it. Yeah. So it sort of really allows us. So theoretically something goes to 25% anywhere from like, eight to 14 days after it's been tagged. Um, and, and we have a lot of, we tag a lot of the items, and some items we have, you know, like, you know, like cabinet poles are just a dollar, or, you know, the pants are $4. We have some basic prices, and those items aren't tagged, and they're not um, discounted by the
0: color tag. Okay. We do have
1: we do a bulk discounts for those, which, which really help move things. Um, like, like with books, we have, a book is $4, or you can buy four books for $10.
0: Oh, no, books are three
1: dollars. Then you can buy uh, four for ten dollars, which I and mean, that, that's been extremely useful. We've actually found almost at times more. We sell more books by the uh, by the by the four item quantity than by the one item quantity, or, or even books by the one or two item, which is um, it, which is pretty uh, crazy to think that because it, it really when people are shopping for the books, they're thinking you know, I see one, I see one I like, well, two I like, how many should I buy? But this, they see the sign that says buy four for 10. And it's like, oh, I just buy four books. That's how many I buy at a time. And it just, you know, then they get to like choose four books and they get to, you know, they get to be happy to stop at four. So it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it like solves the question of <laughs> if, they should buy, if I buy four at a time. And it's like, we've done that with, we've done that with clothes. We've done it with a lot of things that just kind of answer with the clothes. You can buy, you know, it's $4 a piece. Or you can buy five for 17 and you just save a couple dollars, but I think people do it almost more that it gives a very clear thing of how many they're supposed to buy.
0: Less options <laughs> to think to about. To yeah. Yeah. yeah, get to five and stop, and that's that makes it simple for them rather than trying to. Can you can you go back to about the what I thought was really fascinating because that was you know most of my experience is manufacturing and you don't bring things out to the floor uh, to sell or send it to your customer until they've consumed what they've already you know what you already sent them. And so in in the reuse world, it's different because there may not be demand for that item. And so as you're saying, you're pushing through the production to say you need to put out on the floor this amount of of material and then they go out there and they brought that amount of material out and there's a, a shelf full of stuff. And so can you talk through like how you're culling through that and what they're looking for and that they're, they need to get, things out of the way to make room for the new stuff because this stuff's taking up space and it's 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 costing money by sitting there not selling. Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I like to say that, uh, and this was sort of a revelation to me when I started looking at the data um, and just seeing how much our sales kind of uh, tracked our supply. Um, mm-hmm. and, and part of it was, as I started working here, I was working on a couple different data projects when I started working here and kind of digging into the... Data because and we never really thought about that. But the staff didn't really think about that before. They you know and or in, in retail. You just kind of trained to think about it that you know you um, that it's kind of yeah it, that retail is demand driven and most of it is <laughs> but yeah um, that people come they look for a specific thing and they buy it and you stock things because you think customers are going to buy those specific things and then mm-hmm. yeah like you said then when you sell out of this thing you order more to keep it well stocked and this because this seems to be a good seller right, right. Um, and so. And I would look at how our sales sort of tracked, and we had our highest um, and our sales would go up seasonally our sales would go up in the summer and they would kind of go down in the fall so our lowest months would be in you know in in the fall and the early in the early spring and the highest and our highest sales would be certainly in August because all these students coming back but even even in like may june July would be very high and 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 we sold a lot of building materials, but even, even departments that weren't building materials, they would go up considerably. You know, you think with the building materials, there'd be higher demand in the summer than the winter, since we're, yeah. we're pretty far north, more building in the summer. Um, but even, even that, went, so, and, I'm, and I kept, and, um, and, and so I was looking at it, and then when I started to look at some of the um, kind of, uh, this, this kind of donation data, we had an earlier way of, of every donation we got, we would estimate the retail value. We'd look at the pile and say, oh, this has $400 in it, or this has 200 or this pickup had $2,000. It would just be a complete guess. And so I had that – they already had that data when I started working. And I was looking at that and look at the sales, and they were just, like, tracking each other pretty, pretty well, pretty perfectly. And, and then um, – so looking at that, um, and then I'm thinking, like, what – so it must be – yeah. So looking at and starting to think about it as a supply driven business and then thinking about our seasonal sales. And I'm like, well, I guess that kind of makes sense that it goes. So we're a college town and, you know, the population of the, the city grows by 10, 15,000 people, you know, um, during the fall. And then it reduces by that in the summer. And I'm like, well, if the population of this place decreases so substantially in spring, why do the sales go up? because you know, our, our theoretical customer base is, is, is decreasing by so much but our sales go up. And then, you know, when I look at the donation growth, and we, you know, obviously students are leaving and everyone's leaving town, and our donations go up by so much in the um, spring, just like, you know, our donation in, in May can be double what it is in, in December, the volume of donations. And then I started thinking, well, yeah, maybe the sales are really more based on the, on the donations and really that, and we weren't really tracking production at all, but you know, the sales go down in the winter because our donations go down and the staff, you know, you, the staff didn't have production goals. And so they work at the pace that the, that the pile is at behind them. The bigger the pile gets, you know, the faster they work or the more staff we bring in or more volunteers we bring in to kind of get that pile down. And therefore we're putting out more new product on the floor. And therefore, the sales go up because all the new products go on the floor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, and, and the more I've started thinking about this over the years, and now that we've been tracking this production much, much more closely, along with sales, and, and the numbers just perfectly, you know, um, kind of track each other when you look at kind of a month-by-month month, um, growth. That it's really supply-driven. And then I started thinking that really, you know, what we have with customers is not, you know, a kind of conventional retail demand. Um, sometimes it is, but the vast majority is more of a kind of a latent demand. That I kind of think about it when customers come to our store. Um, and I know when I shop at thrift stores, that's how it is. So you know, a lot of our customers come a couple times a week, once a week, once every few weeks, you know, occasionally they come in because they need a new hose. And, you know, we often have used hose and this is going to be good enough for their project. So they, they somewhat expect to get a hose with us before they go to Lowe's to buy one if we don't have one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they also wander around, and the amount of money they could spend really—it um, completely depends on what we have on the uh, on the shelves. Um, so, you know, whether we have that hose or not, you know, you go to Lowe's, you're going to find a hose because they they know people need hoses and they keep them well supplied. But with us, we might have some. We might have ten to choose from. We might have long ones, short ones. You know, we might have a high quality one that was used once we might have, you know, some really bad ones that that Mm -hmm. you would just pass over anyway. So it really complete, whether they buy it or not, completely depends on the type of supply we have and what Mm -hmm. we have stocked in that given and, and, and the price, you know, not just what we have. It's like, you know, I've certainly, I'm sure people have, seen a perfectly reasonable hose to buy with us and then gone to Lowe's because our price happened to be almost as high as Lowe's because the person who happened to price that one uh, was pretty inexperienced and and, uh, and and maybe, you know, and so they put to have a price and for, even though it was what they would buy, it's like, well, I could buy a new one for the same price, so I'm going to go to Lowe's. Um, so, that's, so that's even for something that the person knows we might re- have. There's a lot of customers that just come in to see what we have. They come and shop
0: and they... Uh, and they kind of
1: walk around the floor, and it they might spend a hundred dollars, they might spend two hundred dollars, they might spend nothing. Just it completely depends on what we have on the sales floor. And if they come weekly, it really depends on what we had put out in the last week. Because if if it's something is if they've already looked at something and said I don't want this, I, you know, or I don't even need a couch right now, so I'm not even going to look at the couches, then it, seeing those couches again aren't going to aren't going to help. Um, But even I think even something simple as like someone has got a, uh, uh, you know, a coffee table that sort of works, but they want a a new one, you know, but they don't need a new one right now. So what they're going to do is stop at our store a week or two and see what we have for coffee tables. And if one if there's one they really like at a price they find uh, reasonable, then they're going to buy it. But it might take a week. It might take, you know, four months for them to get that new coffee table because, it's not high priority, but if they see something they like, so it completely depends on what we're putting on the sales floor and and the turnover. And, and then I also think the customers, the frequency that customers come also depends on the art. because customers, whether they're a reseller and we have lots of resellers who come every day, they come every two days, or I'm just, you know, a person, you know, like me that, you know, that shops and I like to go to thrift stores and I'll go, um, you know, I like to buy audio cassette tapes myself. and, And if I go to a, I go to Salvation Army and I go there once and I buy a couple and then I go there a week later and I don't see a single new one. Then I'm like, well, maybe I don't need to come there every week. I'm going to come every three weeks. Then I come in three weeks and I don't see any new ones. And I'm like, well, that's still too frequent to come. And if <laughs> I to determine like this right. type of item that I like to buy and I like to uh, look at regularly, um, then I need then I kind of make this assessment of the store how often I need to come to see a regular uh, enough new items in this in this type of um, in this department in order for me to, to decide how I'm often going to come. So the, the bigger turnover in that department, the more often this person's going to invest into coming to your store to shop. And every time they come, is a potential to buy something else they happen to see. Um, so, I, so I think that's extremely in, important, the think about the turnover. And then, so that's, that's so when we actually get down to, you know, the people are, they have these production goals and, and they're putting out the production and let's, you know, let's say that there's no more room to put out more stuff. And then, and before we had production goals, when the shelves were full, I would hear the shelves are full. I don't need to put anything more out because I don't have any room to put more stuff out. You know, can you take, can you take these pallets of stuff and put them in storage because we don't have any more room. We need to wait for customers to come to buy these things. Mm-hmm. And so with our production goals, we got completely rid of that mentality. And that, that if you, you know, the shelves are never are never full, essentially. You know, if there is no more space on the shelves, you, know, you can usually organize and merchandise and create a bunch of space. If not then, then you need to pull the old items off the shelf. And, and so the color tag system is a great way to, to do that. So if it's, things are color tagged, you know, and, you know, number one, I can pull with items that, are, uh, that were 75% last week. So I can grab pretty much all of those. And we try to do those, um, even if the shelves aren't full, we try to get a lot of those off.
0: Um, if we have the the, the labor, these are to do the right? um, if reduction. These are seventy five percent off of the original price. Is that you are saying, or it's the, yeah? Or these are about ready to get yeah. disposed of anyways.
1: Yeah, well, so it's, it's a color is seventy five percent off, and then before we start pricing that again, there's kind of a week a week time period from when it's stopping seventy five percent off before we start using it again, which gives us some extra time to pull those items off the floor or reprice them mm-hmm. um, lower. Mm-hmm. But then if there's none of those items available, then I start grabbing seventy five percent off items and if there's none of those, then I start grabbing fifty percent off items so I can sort of um, you know kind of work my way down just to create enough space to put the new product on the shelf because the new product is what matters and keep yep. pulling the old product off so, so the color tag is a great so if things are color tagged, then we usually kind of call that way. we just kind of call based off the color and that if you have a lot of volunteers and, um, and or people with either kind of our training program with, with people that don't have a lot of skills. Um, we that's a great task for them because um, we can just say like we, we work with um another organization that does workforce um, workforce training and work and placement for our people with uh, disabilities and other mm-hmm. barriers to employment and so they come and work with us a lot so that's uh, we call it the treasure hunt because we say go go find all the blue items on the shelf and they go off with a cart and they just look for blue items with blue tags you know, and it's like a great task. It's kind of fun for them. <laughs> and and yeah. they just bring it back to the back and, and then a more experienced staff person kind of goes through and decides what to trash and decides that, Oh, we put $15 on this item. Maybe we'll just put three on it now and somebody will buy it. Um, so somebody else with a little more experience kind of goes through and decides what's, what to actually throw out and what to uh, put back on the shelf. But it's a good task for them. It's kind of, you know, it doesn't take a lot of skill and kind of, uh, and kind of fun. Um but, and then also items like clothing or books or items that don't have color tags, then you, we usually take a, a bit more experienced person kind of goes through and calls um, because, and they just use their, you know, their experience and and their memory of the sales floor to know what stuff's been there a while or just doing a mix of stuff that's been there a while and stuff that's just lower quality. Um, There's just, just to go through the t-shirts and just take out a, you know, a stack of T-shirts out to thin it out so we can make room for more. So mm-hmm. if an item doesn't have color tag, that's really our strategy to kind of thin it out, and it works whether it's clothing or books or whether it's hardware. You know, if it's doorknobs, you can go through and just pull out all the the doorknobs that aren't completely that are complete maybe or that are more scuffed up or, and just scrap all those, and that makes it a little more easy to shop and put out a newer product on the
0: floor um, that'll just look different to customers and and be different. Do you get any a discount or? I think I've heard that you still have to pay your own landfill and maybe you can maybe recover some cost from scrap, but you still are on the hook for the stuff that gets pulled out, right? I mean, you have to pay the hauling charges and the dumping fees and stuff like that. I always wonder how they figure out a way to give you some discount on that since you're kind of collecting other people's sometimes junk. That they're dropping off yeah hoping hoping that it doesn't end up there but it will eventually because it is junk
1: yeah so yeah we have to pay to get rid of everything even though we do get we were kind of uh really you know um uh started by the kind of county and we've gotten mm-hmm. supported by the county uh, for all these years to help us grow um yeah they've never been able to you know, just let us throw stuff for free um, just to get uh, so we, we get treated just like a regular business on, on that end. And, and we pay, I think, $90 a ton in our county to uh, throw things out. Um, and, and right now, I, um, and it's really increased over the last couple of years as our donations have really skyrocketed. And also with our clothing, we're kind of um, we haven't um, at the moment, we have to all the clothing that we can't um, sell, we, we have to throw out at the moment. It, it really yeah. sucks that we have it not. We're in this, we're kind of in this pocket. We're kind of, it's kind of a small city and we're too, for a while we were driving it, the stuff, um, pretty much a four hour round trip just to give it to a, uh, another uh, nonprofit who had a clothing bailer and kind of sold it on the rag market. Um, and we didn't get paid for that. And we would cost us quite a, it would cost us pretty much the same to throw it out as it would to truck it all yeah. the way to Syracuse to throw it out. And so which then you know, then we, it's, it's a bit, and then when you're losing the, you know, the person who's doing it, it could, could be doing something else much more valuable. But, um, and, that, and then when the, uh, so we were doing that for a long time, but once the pandemic hit, um, they stopped um, uh, allowing us to do that. They didn't want to bring other people kind of coming in and then taking extra product from elsewhere. That wasn't really, it wasn't really a benefit to them because the, the mm-hmm. hassle of, uh, even though we drove it all the way, the hassle of us taking it, um It was you know would be barely covered by the actual little bit of money they would get for what they were selling they were mostly doing it as a favor to us um right. so so since then we 've had to just throw it out, which has caused a lot of it 's completely against our mission because we 're mostly focused on on the reuse aspects and the environmental aspects and kind of and and um related to the stuff and so that really and and then not only is a huge cost which i I take our waste costs at about two percent of our sales so our sales, you know, last year about $1.5 million, so that's probably like about 30%, uh,
0: $30,000 of uh, waste costs, uh, which is that's almost a full-time person. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the lean forms of waste and waste walks, which stands for water, air emissions, solid waste, toxins, and energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste, teach you how to involve your facilities and environment safety and health personnel. We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and lean Kaizen events, and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at lean6sigmaenvironment.org
1: that's part of the reason we're we trying to expand. We're trying to get a suitable warehouse space so we can start bailing clothing ourselves and, and selling it um, um, on, on the different commodities markets. Um, yeah, so that, that's our intention with that. And then also people have been busting open our, our, our dumpsters to try to get at the stuff and that's caused a huge problem and you make a huge mess around that. So it's, it's a real
0: challenge the, the waste aspect that we have. I know I've taken up a bunch of your time, but this is really good, and I'm really in, enthralled in this. But um, I did want to just have you talk a little bit about kind of the – you mentioned something before about the having the goal for the production team and how, like, mm-hmm. in the past without that, it just looks like a big pile that never gets done, but maybe the, the goal helps them kind of track their progress and feel like they're getting something completed, even though the pile just seems to <laughs> – continue to grow sometimes during the day. Uh, Yeah, so certainly um, allowing us to uh, move,
1: um, especially with our main store, with separating the donations from the uh, production of it, the sorting, uh, that that certainly helped with not having gigantic piles. Um, So at at least least now it's, they, you know, they sort down this whole pallet of goods and then a new pallet comes in. (laughs) So at least that's a little less. uh, At least they see some, you know, light at the end of the tunnel by getting down to the bottom of the pallet and being able to take out an empty one before the cool one comes in. So that helps a little bit. But the biggest, yeah, the biggest thing, as you mentioned, is is having goals that that people can achieve rather than just, you know, working on a conveyor belt, which is essentially what it can feel like a lot of the time. At the start of the day, the conveyor belt starts of stuff, and you're just sorting and sorting and sorting and sorting. And then you know you flip off the conveyor belt at the end and it, it's still piled with stuff as far as you can see ahead of you, right? Mm-hmm. And it just never keeps coming. So I'm, I'm sure, sure the having goals that people can achieve that are achievable and then also that people can track themselves against
0: and can feel good
1: about um, completing um, I think is extremely helpful. Um, and we've done some other kind of ways of really uh, of trying to engage staff on the kind of data end and, and looking at kind of sales and production um, as well. Um, so that really, so the production really helps and people get excited about hitting their goals and, and meeting their goals. Um, one other way that's been really great, especially on the sales side of getting people excited um, is, is we, and we started this when we started our second store. Um, so we've been doing this for, I think over like four and a half years now, um, but we have a daily report. Um, we just use a Google form, and so the, the manager of the day, who's ever the who closes the day, as the manager in each of our stores. Does a, uh, a daily report where they put like the, the traffic count, they put the donation count, they put the total um, the sales number for the day, and then they also write in what the sales goal was for that particular day, so they can see how well it, it was against the goal. And then they have an opportunity to write, you know, some some information about the sales if there were if the sales were really good. What are the, some reasons why they think it was? If it was certain departments, or if it was a certain items that went really well. Um, and then also any kind of customer issues or, or information they want to transfer and then, you know, issues with donors or issues with, uh, um, you know, any praise they want to give to staff. And mostly on that end, it, it, it's been really helpful. And then, and then we have a, another question, which is more kind of negative um, feedback on, on the staff. And that, that one just goes to a couple um, kind of upper managers that they can mm-hmm. deal with. But it's a nice private way for the manager in the moment. So they don't have to like write an email or think about it later or just tell someone verbally that allows them to give some kind of critical feedback about other staff um in a very private way, um kind of right in the moment, which is really helpful. Um but this this email uh goes out to um for a little while we had it just go out to like a group of managers for like the first year or so. And then we kept like, oh, it'd be helpful if this person knew and this person, and this person. And then two years ago, we just decided that every single staff member would get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so it goes on, to, you know out of like 50 some people um, so it's so every you know manager is essentially writing an all staff email at the end of each day that goes three of them goes out how the day went and and on that kind of staff and volunteer praise that's pretty much uh, some managers write I don't when I have a manager I don't do it myself um, but they write you know pretty much praise about every single person trying to write some, a nice thing one other person did during the day and trying not to leave people out um, which is you know and, and, and a couple of managers like to spend quite a while writing this you know it's got like four paragraphs (laughs) but it's it is corral it's 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 really wonderful because and often it becomes it can become a bit of a uh, you know a thread where people are comments or you know someone says thanks for the you know the nice comment or something like that or adds another detail that wasn't in the original one that the manager hadn't heard about and or or if there's an issue sometimes if if we're bringing up issues like this happened, you know, and we need to figure out a way to deal with this, you know, and then the other store might chime in. We've dealt with it this way. Um, it's been, it's, it's, it's a really great thing. And it's a lot of people look forward to reading at the end of the day and just hearing the recap for the day. And it also keeps people attuned to the numbers and, and seeing how numbers are, are, are going. And so it's a really simple kind of automatic thing that, that I think really, really brings a lot of the staff together and, and, to and do- helps
0: a lot. Develop this? You
1: said it was a Google Drive thing, or is it a a Google Docs, or is it something else? Yeah, just well, it's a Google form. We we use Google for uh, uh, we use you know our our email um, is kind of based in Google, Mm -hmm. a kind of work email. So and then we just use a lot of a lot of Google apps for so many things as an organization, um, you know, so we mostly pretty much use the whole Google Drive for, uh, to manage documents, spreadsheets, and, and, and Word docs. But, the, but for the Google Form, we use, um, yeah, we use the Google Form um, thing. That's, it's really easy to use in there. And then, and then it takes a little, a little more technical know-how to use the Form emailer in there. But that's okay. the um, kind of function as an automatic email to, uh, to either, you know, kind of a, an email group or to certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use that a lot, like I, like I manage, I do our pickup and delivery um, schedule right now. I'm managing it at the moment. And so anytime if someone fills out our pickup form on our website, you know, I get sent an email with all the data, which then I kind of use that to kind of manage the scheduling process as sort of like a, like, a, like a ticket, like an IT ticket or something. But so we use it in a lot of ways that if there's a form that needs to go to a certain group of people, then we just have it automatically emailed to those people um, and it's in their email. But it, so it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it's worked out extremely Well, it's a a fairly, you know, it doesn't take a lot to implement and it really kind of brings people together. um, And kind of, because before that, you know, it would be like weeks could go by with no one really knowing how the sales are doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, you know, looking at it, if you're not looking at it all the time and if you're not, you know, some people might be, but certainly like just people, you know, cashiers and regular floor staff aren't really looking at it. At different times, we've had a weekly report that we've sent out to staff to try to give them, you know, a little more kind of uh, context into how the sales are doing um, and, and, and how production is doing and, and other, other data that we're, we're looking at. Um, one other piece of data that I didn't mention that we, that's been extremely important, in, in especially in long-range planning, expansion planning, and then kind of this um, restarting planning we've had the past few months is looking at the um, sales per labor hour. Uh, so, that's a, uh, so we've been looking at that the past few months years. Um, We use when I work to uh, manage our uh, scheduling for our stores, and also that's what we use for timesheets. And so if anybody, and we use that, so people are on their timesheets, if they work an hour in a certain, at least one hour in this store or that store, or on the pickup crew, or in the office doing administrative work, um, whatever it may be, um, we have defined what the different um, sort of classes are that people are working under, and then they they put that in their timesheet that I worked eight hours at this store. I worked eight hours this day on doing pickups and deliveries. And I worked the other 24 hours at this other store. Um, and then that gets transferred to our, um, our financials. So we can kind of track on, on our, in our, on our P and L, how our stores are doing um, in a much more detailed than just saying, this person works at this place, this person works in this place. Cause a lot of times people shift a little bit and then you know, we want the stores to pay for whatever, you know, labor value they're getting from, from the people that are working there. Um, but then also each week, I kind of go into when I work, um, at least for the store I'm operating another person does it for the other stores and pulls the amount of total labor that was, that was you know, that was used at, at a certain location. And then we just take the sales and divide by the total hours. And that gives us our sales per labor hour. Um, and, and for like last year, for both stores, it was around $31 an hour which is, for, for me, and, and at times in the past, it's been much higher. But the more staff we add, um, you know, our, we keep adding more staff and getting – our sales have been growing like 20% a year the past four years or so, and we keep adding more and more staff, and, and uh, it gets less and less efficient having more and more people trying to get more sales out of the same size space. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, so that sales has kept going down. In the past, it's been high 30s. I think probably back in 2016, it was even in the 40s. Um, and, and our costs per labor hour are probably around $19 or so, $19, $20 an hour. Okay. Uh, we're a living wage employee, and We pay um, for the basic health insurance. We pay the entire premium. Um, mm-hmm. So we get around $20 an hour for our staff. So really, and, and really when I think of any new business, a new store or a type of a new type of business, um, I try to think of labor that's got to generate around $30 an hour. So getting, getting not, not only paying its own costs, but getting 50% more. And that goes to pay the, for the, the other other fixed costs of an operation, whether it's rent or utilities or you know print the tags to print and or the point of sale system, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then also to help help uh, you know pay for the uh, you know our 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 finance director and executive director and the other kind of costs of our organization, mm-hmm. kind of shoulder some of those costs, our marketing costs. Um, so, so, really getting so. Last year it was getting down to that minimum of thirty dollars, and this year, as we reopened, it's for one store. It's been around nineteen, and the other store, it's at twenty-five, which is a real challenge. Because um, yeah. the store it's at nineteen, that means we're not even paying for the labor, we're barely paying for the labor if, if at all at this location. And so, we're not even we're just taking a loss at the moment in the in the other costs, and we're not even going to support other parts of the organization, which we need uh, in, in our budget. So, um, and that's, it's low for a number of reasons. One, we, um, we've had to take extra labor costs for uh, sanitizing other uh, costs associated with, you know, operating a COVID environment. Um, and so there's that. And then also um, we, we haven't invited our volunteers back yet. Um, we're still trying to figure out, you know, uh, have enough space for them to work safely. And, and we, we first started, we furloughed into almost entire staff and we brought back all of our staff about a month and a half ago. And we've kind of, did, and we're getting more comfortable with that. And now we're trying to bring back volunteers in, in a safe working environment. So we haven't quite done that. And, and, and so the volunteers have really padded that, that labor hour um, sales for labor hour because
0: it's just the labor we're paying right, for right. when we look at that. But
1: um, that's really useful because I found, you know, it's, it's 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 been like the next step in the journey to figure out what um uh you know if sales are bad what's the cause and what do we need to do that's always the question
0: mm-hmm. yeah. um
1: for any any kind of business that's got you know revenue coming in so revenue is down what do we do different to, to make it go back up and uh and so for us you know the sales are down what do we need to do and you know like three four years ago we kind of discovered that it's all about the production mm-hmm. and if sales are down it's because of produce it enough even if the shelves look full it's just because the stuff is stagnant on there and we need to get some stuff off that shelf and put new stuff on so it's really about the production and then two years ago you know i, I kind of linked it to really it's the la- the labor that if the production's down it's just it's not because it's really just because people were on vacation or people were sick or you know someone um, resigned and we haven't filled that position yet so mm-hmm. it really comes the uh, the labor that we have working in that area. And if we don't have someone working there, then obviously the work's not getting done and the sales aren't happening. So, so, and then, but it's really allowed us with that, you know, sales per labor hour to kind of project, like we're open, we're planning to open a new store in the next few months, um, kind of a a little pilot project to see if, um, because it's an opportunity. And, and so we're kind of, one of the biggest factors to decide how many people to staff it with is figuring out the sales and then, and then looking at, um, how many people we need in order to achieve those sales based on what we think our sales per labor hour will be in that location.
0: You know, having that goal there, um, you're using that as kind of a a predictor for, you know, how you're doing. Um, I really like your, in my head, I was just thinking through this uh, decision tree that you explained. This was really cool. It's like, okay, if this is down and this is here, then I check this and then I check this. And I think that's really cool that you've, kind of dialed it in like that to be able to say, okay, if this number's low, then I look over here and this is the changes we can make. And coming back to like the labor to say if I can if I get people at the right place and they can show up, we can get the production you want and we can check people out properly and get the right customer service and we can hit the numbers. And if, you know, you said it kind of starts if, if one person's out, then – you have to go fill in a cashier, and then that pulls a production person off, yeah. and now you're short on production, and then a couple of days later, you see a drop in the sales because the stuff on the floor is becoming stale or stagnant. And so I thought it was really kind of yeah. interesting how those all kind of interconnect like that.
1: Yeah, it, ha- and it happened very quickly. I mean, I've, I've done, I like doing little odd experiments in my store <laughs> to see. <laughs> um, also the are kind of fun, probably to entertain myself, but also just to, to see how something will function. And, and we really had an excess of household goods the past uh, few months um, that we're really trying to kind of like sort down and, and sell out of our, and, and really reduce the overflow we had of that before we opened donations. So I needed to get, so I wanted to sell some more household and, and the kind of the store I'm operating, which is kind of right next to this other store. Um, it's mostly, it's an old Ace hardware and most of it's selling the old Ace product on consignment for the for the owners um, while we're operating on a short-term basis. But so I wanted to introduce some household goods in some way. And I didn't want it to be, you know, cause they have a really nice large one next door. And I thought just trying to put out household and have a department that's like a 10th the size or 5% the size, um, you know, with a similar pricing strategy. It's just, you know, I don't know what the draw of that is. I want to do something different. So I uh, came up with this thing that i I I'm calling the uh, the bargain bazaar bazaar. Um, one of my coworkers calls the dollar wall wonder instead. Bargain bazaar bazaar was my idea. Both a you know bizarre market, but also odd um, uh, and <laughs> different. Uh, so I got this long this long shelf that's like 20 feet long, and um, basically I just take household I take things right out of the box that aren't even, you know, really sorted. And I don't, uh, I'm not, and if, if it's if it's something I would normally put like 15 or 20 dollars on, then I send it over next door and they put a higher price on it. Um, mm-hmm. But basically I just put it on the shelf and it's all a dollar. Um, so it's, it makes it simple. It it's really easy to stock because I don't have to tag things or decide what the price is going to be or decide it's going to be $3 or $4. I just put a dollar on, you know, I don't even put anything on it. Yeah. And and then it just on there and it's all, and, you know, and then every time I'm going to start stocks of the new stuff that I put on new stuff each day. And I just, I take one shelf and I compact it down. So I have a couple, you know, four, eight, 10 feet of uh, shelving that's open. So I put all the new stuff on the right and all the old stuff just gets pushed over to the left. So oh, nice. more regular, customer, you know, and I have a sign that says, uh, you know, the fresh stuff is to the right and the, and the stale, you know, the less fresh I call it is to the left. And so <laughs> if someone comes, you know, if someone comes, and they just start on the right side and they keep going until they see the stuff they've seen before. And they don't have to look anymore. Um, and then, uh, then on Monday, you know, it's all a dollar. And then you can buy nine, you get four free um, to try to get people to buy more of it. Um, and then also on Mondays, everything's a quarter to try to cull more of it out to get more space for new stuff. Um, so that's just a way, that, you know, it's kind of like a loss leader just to get more people to walk into the store. And I had a way in the back of the store, but so the intention was that new stuff comes out every day. And that's the promise I made to customers when they, when, when they were first coming in and I was talking to them, especially the resellers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like one day went by where I didn't, I, I didn't come in and, and then, and I, I hear we got quite a few complaints from customers because they <laughs> noticed that no new stuff. Was coming that day, because they heard that was the, uh, that was the, uh, the, the commitment that I had made that new stuff was coming out every day on this shelf, even if it's only just two or three boxes. And one day it didn't happen. And then, and then at least uh, more than one complain to the, uh, the staff that I thought new stuff was coming out every day. I couldn't hear from <laughs> nothing. So, so I think it becomes similar for, um, you know, one of those same uh, uh, resellers, I had ran into him like a month ago, and he said he had came to one of our stores right when we opened, and he just wasn't seeing enough new stuff because um, we, we weren't stocking stuff in that department for the first few weeks because of some staffing challenges.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I ran into him at a Salvation Army, actually, and talking to him, and he said he hadn't gone back. and had been like a month because mm-hmm. he just got that impression that we were just challenged by the pandemic and we weren't stocking. Maybe he went twice and, you know, that second time you don't see anything new. And then he's like, uh, it's just not worth it anymore. And you know, maybe I'll go back in a month or something. So and to me, it's, you know, and it's the, like the customer traffic, the customer traffic, like completely and how much the customer traffic is growing um, completely depends on the, the product turnover and you know the sales itself of the customers that are there depends on the product turnover. So, mm-hmm. so it's like everything goes to like the uh, the production and and how product is turning over in your store. And and that's like to me it's it's like I don't you know um, I don't really focus on when, when thinking about increased sales. Really, you know, almost anything else. It's it's I mean the merchandising is very important as well. And uh, we have control over that. But all we really have control over is our production the volume that we're putting out and also the, the, the quality of the merchandise. And that's really all we can control um, aside from spending money on marketing and trying to get more people to learn about your store. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, and then that's, that's another way I've used those, those, those numbers. Um, uh, like if I see the, um, you know, I, like that's, I guess that's another option if you, um, well, if we're meaning you know, if, if I look at the numbers and, and it's um, the production is, the numbers are all the kind of the production, that kind of sales to pricing ratio is where I want to see it. And the sales are meeting their goals. Everything's looking, looking pretty good. And then, um, you know, when we have more product that we could be stocking, but we're still meeting our sales goals as it is. And then the, the, if all that's looking really good and the merchandising is looking good, then I'm like, that's the time to uh, invest in some, in some, uh, some marketing to, get, mm-hmm. to bring some more customers because I know if, they, if we invest in those get to try to find some new customers that may not know about us or ones that, you know, haven't shown up in a year because they got a bad impression, you know, they came right. a day after a sale day and they just got a bad impression because their shelves were partially empty. And so to try to get those customers to come back or new customers, that's the time to then invest in those customers and spend money on marketing because I know when they show up, they're going to get a really good impression of the mm-hmm. store and, and then we'll, we'll kind of, it'll be worth it to spend money on them. But if traffic's low and and uh, we want to increase customer traffic, and I look and the shelves, don't look too great, and, and, and um, you know, and I have more product in the back, but there's partially empty shelves, then it's like it's not, you know, let's not spend money on an ad because it's not it's not going to help. We'll just get more people to come. It might help to get to like boost up sales for a day or two and get more people to show up, um, but it's not going to like hold those customers because they're not going to have a good opinion. <laughs> Selling up to them anyway because we don't have enough stuff on the shelf. So, you know, first do everything we, you know, do those things that we can control, which is the merchandising and the, and the production, and then move to uh, marketing. If those are, if we're hitting on those things, then kind of go to uh, spending money on marketing or, or more staff um, to kind of increase production if we have the, the stuff.
0: If you like this topic, please check out Lean Six Sigma for Good, Lessons from the Gemba. Volume one is released and available through Amazon, We will soon have an Audible version coming out early in 2020, and we're working on Volume 2 as we speak. Volume 1 has eight chapters written by different authors who share their experiences applying Lean and Six Sigma to not-for-profit organizations. All proceeds from the sales of the book series will go to the nonprofits selected by the authors. Thanks for your support. You may have heard about Six Sigma certification. If you've done any investigation on it, you'll see that the prices can be kind of expensive. We've partnered up with OpEx Learning to provide a much more affordable option. You can select from white belt at $49 US, yellow belt for $99, green belt for $299, and black belt for $499. In addition to the lower cost, you'll find the content is accelerated, much of the unnecessary content removed. So you can focus on the core tools and concepts you need to know. When you hit the green belt and the black belt level, you can choose between MiniTab or Sigma XL. And if you'd like to get a certification, you can add that on for two hundred dollars for the green belt level and three hundred fifty dollars for the black belt level. To learn more, go to Lean Six Sigma for Good, and under the Resources tab, look for Six Sigma certifications. Wow, man, tons of great stuff! I could keep you going for a while here. I don't want, I want to be respectful of your time too. Um, and how can people get a hold of you? Because I'm sure that people listening to this will have lots of Thoughts and um, maybe want some help with um, what you've set up, and maybe questions about some of the things you've talked about. I've got your email. I can post in the notes uh, yeah. and link to the yeah, website. The email, is that the best way? Email or you know, phone number? Yeah, or, the
1: email. Or, you know? Yeah, the email is
0: probably the the best.
1: Um, okay. you send an email. I'm 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 quite quite good on, on email. Very very little gets by me on, on email. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm a, a, a voicemail more likely to buy me than an email actually, so uh, sure. an email would be the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and then, um, yeah, and I'd be happy to have a conversation with someone. I got I got slides that I can share and 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 different templates for kind of tracking data that I've used um, and 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 kind of conveying data um, to other other staff and and such. Um, so so yeah, I I've, I I've, I've, uh, I really enjoy helping other organizations. Um, as, as you noted, we, we met at a conference where I was presenting. I've, I presented at the DECON conference a few times. I've,
0: mm-hmm. I've been
1: working with uh, the Aid Alliance out of um, Eugene, which is kind of uh, mostly operated by the uh, St. Vinny's um, of, of Lane County in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, they, they work with uh, organizations all over the country to, uh, to try to help um, nonprofits uh, help develop their kind of waste-based businesses, mostly operating reuse uh, stores,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but also doing like book sales and, and kind of mattress recycling and other kind of uh, waste-based businesses and, and really help uh, kind of nonprofits take a, a more business-based approach um, uh, to, their, to their operations or to help start uh, a, a new um, waste-based business to help support their social, their social programs. Yeah, and, and, the, and the Finger Lakes reuse us, so we're a member, and there's, there's maybe 10, maybe 12 to 15 other members around the country, and I think they're often looking for more members, and then they help provide um, kind of uh, assistance in, in um, you know, kind of technical assistance and, and just help with this, try to figure out how to, how to how to grow, how to either start or how to grow your operations or to make them more kind of cost effective, because um, they they've been doing this for many decades, and they do it extremely well, uh, the St. Benny's uh, of Lane County. Um, but I've, I've, they've been able to uh, send me to a couple different organizations around the country to help kind of share these ideas around data and production and tracking. And, and, and so that's, that's been really helpful. And, and we're helping another organization uh, uh, in a city nearby start a new reuse, uh, center, reuse organization. So I, I really love working with other other organizations to kind of help them grow and figure out and, and just get better at, at this business. Because I think there's huge opportunities to, to grow. One thing I'm really excited about with our business, we have these two stores nearby to each other. Um, and uh, and we, we sort of operate them as two separate stores and one's mostly this kind of old ACE Merch, Ace hardware merchandise that we're kind of selling on consignment, but that's going to be mm-hmm. done in a few months. And, we're, and our plans are to, um, Get a long-term lease at both locations, and and there's no way to connect the two of them because there's another business that has a hallway between the two, which is really unfortunate. Um, but that's a that, it's a it's a very large business, so they're not going to be going anywhere likely. Um, but um, but they're only like 50 feet away from each other. their are front doors, and and so we're going to kind of redo them as essentially one store, just kind of separated with two um, two uh, you know point of sale transaction points. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of two back ends. One, one will be the, the kind of older one we've had will be kind of clothes and furniture, and the other one will be all the smalls because has really nice shelving. So hardware and tools and housewares and electronics and books and media and all that stuff. So it'll be pretty much all the products we do across both stores. Um, and it'll be probably around 22,000 square feet of retail just between uh-huh. both places. Um, so I think it'll be probably the largest, and we'll, and we'll market it, um, as, as one location. Um, so, so it'll be sort of probably the largest kind of thrift store for at least hundreds of miles. I think there might be one in Pennsylvania somewhere that's in, in, in the kind of, you know, 18 to 20,000 square foot range for retail. But, so I think, well, I'd, I'd like to try to market it in a, in a regional way to kind of Syracuse and Rochester and Binghamton, you know, upwards of two hours away um, and as kind of a regional shopping destination being this, the largest thrift store that that most people have ever been to um yeah. and and the variety of product there and and, and really high quality merchandising um and then along with our other location in town and there's a number of other really nice consignment shops and antique antique shops and, and and we use another kind of uh architectural building material nonprofit in town that sells items so it'll kind of make our our small city even more of a destination for kind of used goods in, in the region
0: that's great do you have any other of uh, those trainings yeah. coming up with uh like you're showing your spreadsheets um if you do let me know um and i can try okay. to advertise that for people who might be interested because i think that's i think people would be really uh, interested in hearing kind of some of the details like that um because i'm just yeah it's really impressive all the things that you're tracking and looking at and how you're managing it so yeah very cool
1: yeah well, yeah, one thing I've, I've been interested in, in doing is um, when I was first given a, a presentation on this at, at the DCON conference in Grand Rapids, like two years ago. I, I um, to help uh, prepare, I, I did about five or six uh, presentations to our that opened up to our staff because um, I think it's really important um, for them for as many staff as possible to kind of understand. And and they really, I mean, they've gotten the um, the basics of you gotta put the stuff out in order to make the sales and mm-hmm. new and, and, and stuff's gotta push the old stuff off the shelf. They got, they got in the basic concept, um, but the numbers and like and looking at a, a table of numbers and knowing what to do with that, um, I, I, you know, we or mostly I haven't done a great job at really getting everyone else in the organization to understand that, to be able to make like managers and the assistant managers and, and the department heads to really be able to use that data effectively. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, you know I kind, of, I kind of look at it, I can look at it quickly and make suggestions, and then those suggestions are utilized sometimes but to it, it be, I, I really want them to understand as much as possible and, and and be able to use the data um, so as, as part of that i 've been thinking it would be good to um, in, i was already thinking internally of of doing some presentations and at, at this point now that 's probably mostly done done uh, uh, virtual anyway, even if I'm just yeah. doing it to my staff. So that's something. If there's interest, with if you get interest from other folks um, who want to understand this better um, and to kind of see some visuals alongside it, I I could we could invite that more
0: widely to other people as well. I'd love to help try to communicate or share that out to anyone. That's yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let you know. if, if I Get that, get that going. <laughs> <laughs> and on top uh, of your others. Hundreds of tasks.
1: Yeah, yeah. I need. I need to. Uh, I, there's a few different uh, responsibilities that I need to.
0: I need to entrust with
1: um, some other staff and encourage other people to take on more more responsibility and, and, and train them to do so. I've been interested. It's just a, uh, you know, it, it always in, in the immediate moment it always takes a little more time to kind of train someone and transfer responsibility to someone else than to just keep doing oh, yeah. it ourselves. Yep. So I, I got to carve out, got to carve the time out, and and get uh, and and transfer it over because it'll save a lot of
0: time in the end. Cool. Um, so ithacareuse.org is the website for Finger Lakes reuse um, in Ithaca, New York. And you said it's near Cornell University. Is you ever, have you ever had any tie-in with any of the student groups? They come and any projects yeah. for you yeah, or anything
1: like? We- yeah we have a lot of different uh groups, especially in during the move in both at Cornell University and Ithaca college um, okay. they uh, we have even during the student move in especially there's there's groups that come in as part of their orientation to kind of volunteer in the community so we get a lot of groups sent to us none, none of that's happening this year um, mm-hmm. but uh then you know we get different like sororities or frats or different you know um, you know, or even different types of graduate classes come in and and want to do a volunteer project with us and learn a bit more. Um, And we try to participate with those as as much as possible. Um, You know, and, and partly for because the labor can be helpful if we have a big project. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's one of the biggest reasons is because it, (laughs) it <laughs> introduces people to us, and we get customers out of it. Right. Um, so a lot of them are new to Ithaca. So it's an opportunity to maybe you know in a three-hour period introduce 40 to 50 people to our stores. Um, who are potentially here for four years to uh, shop, um, or you know, and if we can really, be part of it's a presentation about our, our organization, and, and we often can get who uh, we participate in the work study program, so we get work study students that work with us, um, both at Ithaca College and at Cornell, mostly at Cornell. On that, but we've often got people who volunteered with us and kind of learned about us that way as, as something that they were, you know, just kind of sent here without, without, um, without really knowing what it's all about and then kind of decided that they wanted to work for us. So we got a lot of people through that, both on the, re- the kind of operations side. We have people, people work study, then people kind of in the office doing kind of more project based work. Okay. Um, so that we always kind of tie in and a lot of classes. Um, uh, especially our, our uh, Diane Cohen, our executive director, uh, has a hard time saying no to uh, people that want to help us. Um, so if, if there's a, a class that wants to do a project,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, especially graduate classes often. This, this, you know, there's there's um, there's a lot of really good schools at Cornell. There's there's a, a you know, the job, the business school is really good yep. there. So often we have students in the business school that want to do some kind of uh, project. Um so we've had a student group do a uh, that make a calculator for like opening up like expansion calculator, you know, where we put in the rent and, and sales projections and different kinds of things and help us help us figure out how to expand or look at it a different way. And we've had a lot of different student projects that we participated in. Um that's been that's been really uh, helpful. Um and actually one interesting collaboration, this uh uh which is with Cornell, um, Cornell has always had a thing called dump and run, which is they're kind of uh, they collect all sorts of uh, used goods at the end of the school year, and, and they get stored and sorted by a bunch of volunteers, and then sold on campus to students, um, or either mm-hmm. been on campus and it was at the, the local mall. Um, but uh, so that's always been, you know, something we've kind of worked with around the edges a bit, um, but uh, this year, because of the uh, pandemic, they're not going to uh, do that. So they have the different groups that, the different groups that, uh, we'll Cornell just provided provided or paid for space and helped with the branding and the promotion of it. And then like the local um, cops and kids and some different groups have actually done the work of collecting the materials and sorting and selling and then they get to keep the money for their organizations or their causes, um, so, but Cornell is, does, doesn't even want to be involved. They don't want to pay for the insurance. They don't want. To, it's just too much at the moment. Well, obviously they're trying to save money like many other colleges and organizations, um, so they just kind of cut that whole thing. And I don't. They don't want to be associated with a big sale that draws a lot of people that, that right now because um, they're yeah. having a hard enough time managing students back. <laughs> um, so, so they've just kind of dropped that without much warning. And, and so these groups have lots of material and that they have to get out of their store, their space within a few weeks. And so they contacted us. And so we're going to collaborate with them. Um, we're going to help them find a space to do the sale and, and we'll help manage like the whole point of sale and other kind of retail procedures. And they'll just focus on sorting and, and kind of stocking the store. And so it'll be a nice collaboration with them. And then, and it sounds like maybe long-term we'll, we'll Sort of just absorb this thing that used to be more associated with Cornell, um, and and this kind of alternative uh, way of, of of doing reuse locally, which which I think can be really helpful. Um, so it, yeah, so it's a nice yeah. collaboration. We uh, we, are, we 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 can't help collaborate as an organization. We are um, always looking to expand like in every direction and collaborate with anyone who's who's interested. Um, I don't I don't see any uh, yeah it's, it's Really focus on collaboration rather than competition. Even not even think of even places like Salvation Army and and like the local consignment shop is competition. Um, the local consignment shop, when they um, you know they focus on a higher end market, both in their customers yeah. and the goods. Um, so when items don't sell and their and their donor or their consigner doesn't want it back or just doesn't come pick it up, um, they, they, they bring the, the stuff bring the stuff to us. So in like last year, they donated maybe a truckload a week of items to us. Um, And, and so, and we're, which works out well for us. And I'm, you know, I'm happy to tell the donor, encourage donor to go there. um, If they have a really nice item and they don't want to pay our pickup fee, or they Mm -hmm. ask if we buy items, I try to encourage people to go there because the better they do as an organ as a business, the better we do, I feel. Um, So, you know, Think that they kind of get this little cream at the top, and and it um, and they they collect off of that, and then we take everything else. Then I don't mind missing out on some high-end things that we would get otherwise,
0: because um, there's more than enough stuff in the world <laughs> to deal with. We, that is true. So, more the merrier, I figure. Well, and I think that's uh, this kind of looking at us a, from a systems view, which is really a, like a lot of the lean methodology study is. It's you have to look at it not to maximize your own process because you can really hurt other parts of that whole system. And and for things to work together so, uh, most effectively, which is allowing reuse to to take hold in a community, is you need all the organizations working together. And that means sometimes, like you said, you don't get as much profit on some of those items, but it makes that other organization healthier, which actually increases consignment sales and and brings people into the market for used items and then they start to gravitate towards you so i mean it's it's hard for people to think about that sometimes that it's really that is the best most efficient for everybody raise everybody up with the whole system works well and everything's connected so this goes here and these things should go over here because that sells the best and it's going to you know we sell these really well, but those things probably need to go to that place. And it, it like, you're, feels like you're giving away a little bit at times, but you're actually making the system healthy. And that's a concept that's hard yeah. for, uh, or pe- some people to, to really think through until they kind of connect the dots and see how it does really help them in the long run.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've had a, a, a couple experiences over the past few years that really, uh, kind of crystallized that for me. One with, um, uh, well, I, I mentioned there's an organization called Significant Elements that's a bit older than us. Um, and, but and they're kind of – there's a historic Ithaca organization, uh, nonprofit, that, that has this store that they operate. And they really focus on just architectural and other historic building materials
0: mm-hmm. and kind of antique
1: yep. furniture. Yep. Um, and, and really nice store, and I, I buy things myself from there. Um, and, and I had this experience a few years ago where uh, there was a, this car dealership bought this property – and it was just, you know, like a, I don't know, it was a hoarder or some kind of antique guy had it, and it was just, it was just a big mess inside, you know, just storage over the years. And basically, they were calling us to see if we wanted to kind of pick through it, and and take take stuff, and um, and we heard that they called the significant elements too, and they were talking to both of us, and we got in, in a moment of greed, um, me and one of my coworkers <laughs> decided to, uh, we're like you know, well, she walked through very quickly and, and said all, all this wonderful stuff there, you know, these old things and this and that. And we got really excited. And, and in, a, in a little greedy moment, we offered the car dealership that we would clean out. If they got a, uh, uh, a, a roll-off container, we would clean out the building for them mm-hmm. and we would take anything we wanted to take and then we would throw all the trash in the, in the, in the waste container for them, you know, if, if it was just us. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't don't have to deal with the other group. It'll just, you know, us, you know, we want, we want, we want it all. We want stuff. And, and then, you know, once, once we got, once we uh, got some better lighting in there, it wasn't as appealing as it was. And, you know, our our greed got the better of us and and there wasn't as much nice stuff. And we took a lot of stuff, but we also spent a lot of energy essentially emptying that building for free for them and (laughs) they could and and well, from that moment, I'm one of my like you know uh, business strategies uh, has been don't be greedy, and I repeat yeah. that to people who are pricing stuff and just you know like it's you know you know don't yeah let's not be not be greedy. So certainly when it comes to getting material and accumulating material, I've 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 taken that 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 uh, that, that lesson very well. So like we had an experience a few months ago where we uh, some old houses and um in a part of town near Cornell uh, where an old apartment building was being knocked down and the owners called us and, uh, and they were in contact with significant elements to, uh, to, you know, pretty much take all the furniture out, any kind of doors, anything we wanted to strip out of the building before they demoed it conventionally. Um, And so, you know, in working with, and I talked to the significant element, the person operating their store and I, and I said, you know, we're going to, we'll take the furniture because it wasn't any furniture they would want anyway, because it was just kind of more dorm room type furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, like we'll take all that because we really sell that and we'll focus on that stuff. And then if there's any, um, you know, and I'm like really the only thing I would spend time doing was, to do, was the doors because the doors are easy to screw off the hinges and just take them really quickly. And nothing else was really uh, would be with the time we had available. It wasn't worth the time um, to expend in it. So I'm like, if there's any doors you don't want, we'll take, but, you know, you're welcome to, you're welcome to have first dibs on all of them. Like she was willing to like negotiate, it, you know, so we could both get value out of it. Right. And I'm like, just, you know, you know, I want you guys to get anything that you find valuable. You know, like we have more than enough stuff. Like we do much higher volume stuff than they do and we have the much larger ability to get more stuff. And it's like, you know, and they're only a few blocks from us and we just want them to succeed. Like you said, and the more that they succeed, it's better for us. So it's like, yeah, just take whatever you want. If there's something that, that's usable to take, we're happy to take. And then she said, well, we'll just take all the doors. And that, is, that, that worked really well. You know, it's a nice collaboration without fighting over this stuff, like I did a couple of years ago, which just backfired. <laughs> yes. uh, when we did it, or it didn't do good for it, they probably missed <laughs> out on a few things. It would have been better for both of us if I would have took the strategy I took a few months ago and kind of shared in the well uh, rather than then got greedy over it and ended up ended up taking a, a loss on it probably, um, and they got they got nothing and we probably um, you know got, got a lot of labor negative. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the only one who won car dealership of that whole thing. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so was hard to story. be. And, and, I, just, and I saw in our in our daily report just two days ago that significant elements came in and bought like $400 worth of uh, kind of antique hardware from us, um, even though they're a nonprofit and most big donations, they come in and buy things for us because our business strategy is more volume based. Yep. And we want to, we want we we to, get, we, get, we can't pay for the space. We want more, we got more stuff in the back. We want to put it out. So we're going to put a lower price. We're just going to put five bucks on this, uh, you know, on all these bins of antique hardware. And they went through and took probably an hour picking through, you know, but some of them is probably weren't even worth five dollars. Some were worth ten, fifteen, twenty, forty. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but they were—they have the knowledge base which right. we don't. and they have the and the time to dig and through and the customers another one so that, that they pay that. Yeah, yeah, the customers who are you know who would scoff at paying twenty at our place because it's going to be the the it would say twenty dollars next to you know a bunch of uh, three dollar doorknobs, and so they're mm-hmm. not and like why is this twenty? You know, and they're not going to. They're likely not going to buy it, but it's significant elements. It's Mark 20 among a whole bunch of other ones that look just as nice that are all highly priced as well. And so the person who wants that exact person goes there because they expect to find, you know, a Queen Anne something or other. And they're going to, you know, they want a certain age and a certain type and a certain quality. And they're more likely to find it there and they're willing to pay a higher price for it. So, yeah, it's a different yeah. customer market, customer expectations there. And if they, can, if they can pay us $400 for a bunch of stuff that we hardly knew what to do with anyway, um, <laughs> then and we didn't have the, cus- the customers weren't buying at our place. It wasn't like we just put that stuff out. I think we put that stuff out like a month or two ago and no one was buying it anyway, even though yeah. it was presumably underpriced. Um, but they can come in and buy that We have a lot of resellers. We have many people that, that, that their business is based off of buying things from us, which is really good to see. And there's like that, all that extra added economic activity. It just keeps turning in our community by people, by like we getting it. People buy it from us, and then they take it a mile down the road and increase the price tenfold, and then they get someone to buy it at that price. So yep. it's all it's
0: amazing. It's all good. Awesome, Chris. This is great. Um, man, two hours. like cow! Um, I'm excited <laughs> to chop this up a little bit and then get it out there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cut anything out because this is, this is all good. Um, I just, yeah, really impressed with what you're doing, and I, um, I think if we can get more stores kind of thinking this way and doing some of the stuff you've done, I, I think that'll really help, you know, boost the use, uh, the reuse industry, keep things out of landfill, and help the organizations hit their, you know, the mission that they're trying to achieve, which is in, in their communities, so I think it's just a, a really great win-win all the way around. Sounds great. Okay, thank you so much.